the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only son who is himself God and is at the right, is at the father's side. He has revealed him. This is the word of God. You may have your seat. Father, I pray that you would fill me up this morning. Lord, I need your spirit. Lord, I am weak. I am tired. Lord, but all glory and honor, all strength is in you. And so I pray, Lord, that through my weakness, Lord, you would be made strong. Lord, the people of God would see you for who you are and would give you the honor and glory that is due your name through the preaching of the word of God. Use me this morning. Fill me up. In your name I pray. Amen. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Say that one more time. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Today we have arrived at the conclusion of our Advent series. We've been journeying through the book of John. We started in the book of Isaiah with the prophecy and the promise of a child that will be born. This son that would be given, that Isaiah proclaimed in the Old Testament, this prophecy of a coming child, this son that was going to be born, this Messiah that was yet to come. We started there. And we've had three other sermons that have been in the book of John. Been going through John chapter 1, starting at verse 1 all the way through verse 13 last week. These sermons have been describing the word. I'm going to read some of the descriptions from John chapter 1 in these last verses that we've gone through over the past few weeks. Hear this about the word. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning. The word was God, the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. So the word is eternal, always has existed. There's never been a moment that the word has not existed. When Jesus was born, it wasn't the beginning for him. 
He's always existed. He's eternal. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were created through this word. So through this word, all that we see, all that we know, the entire universe, the galaxies, the stars, the planets, here on our planet, Earth, the sun, the moon, the, the clouds, the trees, the skies, the seas, the fish, the birds, all the animals, and even us. All of us were created through the word, through the word of God. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light, the word, shines in the darkness. But yet the darkness could not overcome the word. See, the word of God that we have been talking about over the past few weeks has already been professed by the other preachers that have come before you. This word of God is Jesus. And today... In our text, starting in chapter and verse 14, today we see that this word became flesh and dwelt among us. This eternal word that has always existed entered into our world, the world that he created, his world, and became flesh and dwelt among us. Like I said, this is the conclusion of the Advent series. I expressed this on the first sermon, the Advent meaning the arrival, the arrival, the culmination of this arrival is right here with this statement that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. This is what we celebrated yesterday, the Christmas story that God, the eternal God became flesh, entered into our world and dwelt among us. This statement is the pinnacle of the Advent series. This statement is the pinnacle of the Advent, that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. This statement is profound. I'm focusing on this statement, I'm spending time here because this statement is profound. This is a very, very deep statement. There's a lot of content. There's a lot behind these few words. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. It's important for us to do our best to comprehend this, to understand what this means for us. I believe it's one of the most profound statements in all of scripture, that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. But why? Why is this statement so profound? Why is it one of the most profound statements in all of scripture? This statement, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, is so grand, so majestic, so incomprehensible. This statement is amazing. 
And I'm going to do my best today to explain why. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. See, us human beings, we're finite. We're limited. And we have a limited human mind. Our human minds can only comprehend and understand so much. We are not infinite. We are not limitless, but rather we are finite and we are limited. So this statement, and I want to be careful with this here today because most of us, I'm assuming that most of us today are believers. We believe this statement. We believe that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. If we celebrated Christmas yesterday for the right reasons, you were celebrating this, that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. But many, many across the centuries, many across all of history have struggled with this statement. This statement has been a stumbling block for many. Many have wrestled, many men over the years, over the centuries, have wrestled with this statement that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Many have wrestled with this statement as they attempted to wrap their minds around it. Remember, this statement is grand. This statement is incomprehensible. And so many people have wrestled with this statement. And in their wrestling with this statement, many people have believed and taught many heresies that have derived from this statement. Trying to understand this statement, trying to comprehend this statement, many heresies have arisen from trying to process from the finite, limited human mind, trying to process the fact, the truth that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So what is a heresy? I'm not going to assume that everybody knows what a heresy means. Some of you have heard that statement before, but you might not quite know what it means, or maybe you just never heard that word before. You've never heard the word heresy. So what is a heresy? Well, a heresy is a belief or a teaching that is contrary to the truth about God. Let me say that one more time. A heresy is a belief or a teaching that is contrary to the truth or the orthodoxy, the right belief about God. It's contrary to the proper belief about God. That's what a heresy is. It goes against the truth. It's a falsehood. It's a statement. It's a belief that is not true. It's false. The scriptures tell us that many false teachers, many false prophets arise and they teach these heresies amongst the people. These heresies that are contrary 
to orthodox, which just means right belief, the correct belief about God. So orthodox belief is just the correct and right belief. So a heresy is contrary to that. It's a falsehood. It's a statement about God that is not true. It's a statement about Jesus that is not true. It's a statement about the Holy Spirit that is not true. It's a belief that's not true. These heresies have arisen from this statement. Many people trying to understand it and many different beliefs about who Jesus was that were heresies came from trying to understand this statement, trying to wrap their minds around this statement that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So I'm going to do my best today to not teach a heresy. I don't want to be considered a false teacher. I don't want to be considered a heretic. So I'm going to do my best, by the grace of God, to make an orthodox statement about this. A statement that is correct about the word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So Jesus, the God-man, Jesus is one person. Jesus, the word, became flesh. One person, Jesus. But Jesus, two natures. One person, but two natures. The word, the word is eternal, infinite, limitless. The word was God. The word is divine. The word, that word became flesh, man, human, like you and I, flesh and blood. So the person of Jesus is two natures. Jesus is 100% God, one of his natures, 100% God, and 100% man. It's hard to understand. That's what I'm talking about. These heresies that have come from trying to understand this statement. He's 100% God, and at the same time, in the same person, 100% man, 100% divine, 100%. He has a divine nature, but a 100% human nature in one person. Now, our rational human minds would try to say, uh, that's 200%. <laughs> that doesn't fit into one whole. It's only to be 50-50. Right? 50% God, 50% man. That makes one whole person. Right? But no. Jesus is different. There's none like him. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us 100% God, 100% man. That's why we call him the God man. There's no one like him in human history. There never has been, there never will be another person like Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. The invisible God became visible. The 
infinite one became an infant. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Now, if you believe that today, if you and I who sit in this room, if we say, yeah, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, yeah, I believe that. If that's you today, it's not because you're smart enough. It's not because you were intelligent enough to understand this. It's not because you were wise enough to see it and understand it with your own finite mind in and of yourself. You are not able, I am not able as a finite, limited human being to understand and comprehend that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So if you believe that today, it was grace. It was grace that enabled you and I to believe that, to believe that God came in human flesh. Only by grace can we believe something that is outside of reason. Only by grace can you and I say that we believe that. In verse 16 of our text this morning, he said, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace. We have received this grace. Grace is a gift. Grace is not earned. That's why I said you can't be smart enough. You didn't go to school and work hard and figure it out. You didn't study the scripture so hard and spend so much time with it that you and your finite mind were able to finally comprehend it. That's not true for any of us in this room. If you believe this, it's because of grace. Grace upon grace, this gift that has been given to you by God himself. Only by grace did God choose to reveal it to you and I. Let me give you an example of this found in Matthew chapter 16. It's not going to be on the screen. Y'all just got to follow along. Listen closely. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. This is Jesus with his disciples. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus was inquiring of his disciples. Who do people out there say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So a lot of people were confused about who Jesus was. A lot of people didn't quite understand that the word became flesh. Thought he may be a prophet. Thought he might be like John the Baptist and Elijah and Jeremiah, one of these prophets. That was the report that the disciples gave back to Jesus when he asked them, who do people say that I am? But then in verse 15, he asked them a direct question. These disciples who he had called to follow him, that had been following him for a while. He said, but you. Who do you say that I am? My disciples, those who are following me, those who are learning from me. 
Who do you say that I am? And then Peter responded, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That was Peter's response to Jesus' question of who do you say that I am? Here's Jesus' response. Blessed are you. Why? Why was Peter blessed that he had answered the question in the way that he had answered it when he had said that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God? Listen to why Jesus says he's blessed. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You didn't come to this conclusion through your finite mind. Flesh and blood. Nobody else, no other human figured it out before you did and then told you so that you can come and tell me who I am. That didn't happen. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But Peter was blessed because Jesus said his father in heaven was the one who revealed that to him. It didn't come from human beings. It didn't come from his own mind. It came from the father. The father revealed this truth about who Jesus was to Peter. It was a gift. It was a grace. It was given to him by God. He didn't figure it out on his own. Nobody else told him. Only the Father who is in heaven can reveal that. And that's a blessing if you know that today. If you understand who Jesus is today, it's a blessing because it's a grace that's been given to you by God. Everybody doesn't believe that. Everybody doesn't understand that. If you are in here this morning and you believe that, it's because of the grace of God. God has chosen to reveal that to you, not because of anything in yourself, but solely by the grace of God. You are blessed if you believe that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Share one more verse. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Say that one more time. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Once again, you have this knowledge today in which you believe that the word became flesh and dwelt among us because God has revealed it to you in the face of Jesus Christ. He has revealed this to you. So it's a grace today if you believe this statement. Let's take a step back. Um, this gospel that we have been in for the past three weeks and fourth week today, and we are concluding our Advent series in the gospel of John comes from John. John was one of the disciples of Jesus. 
He was the one who wrote this gospel. He walked with Jesus. He was one of his 12 disciples. He was actually considered to be in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. There were 12 disciples of Jesus, but Jesus kind of had an inner circle, close-knit group of three of the disciples. So three of those 12 were closer to Jesus than the other nine. And John was a part of that group of the three inner circle disciples. Peter, James, and John. John was one of those three. So John had a very, very close relationship with, with Jesus. I would say that John, probably of all of his disciples, was the closest to Jesus. Now, this is my opinion from what I have derived from Scripture. Some people may say, well, Peter was closer to Jesus. Peter cut off someone's ear for Jesus. Peter was going to fight for Jesus. But I would say John was closest to Jesus because fast forward a little bit in this story. I know we're talking about the birth of Christ, but fast forward to the moments before his death, the days before his death, when Jesus was arrested, most of the disciples fled. Most of those who were close to him, his disciples that were with him, that followed him all these, these years in Jesus' public ministry, when Jesus was arrested, they fled. The only disciple that followed Jesus all the way to the cross and was present there looking up when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the only one that was there was John. All the rest of the disciples were gone. So John was very, very close to Jesus. John spent a lot of time with Jesus. John watched Jesus. He watched him sleep. He watched him eat. He watched him teach. He watched him perform miracles. John walked with Jesus in the flesh. John knew him personally. John walked with Jesus and knew him well. And anyone during this time that Jesus was on earth saw lots of things about Jesus. They saw him do the miracles, but they also realized that Jesus, Jesus' mother was Mary. They knew that Jesus was a carpenter's son, Joseph, his father in the earth. So people saw Jesus. John, the rest of the disciples, the Pharisees, all those who interacted with Jesus during his earthly ministry, all those who knew Jesus, his brothers and sisters, all of them had no problem with the fact that Jesus was flesh. They knew he was human. They saw him. Like I said, they saw him sleep, saw him eat. They knew who his parents were. They knew who his brothers and sisters were, just like some of us. We know each other's family. We can see each other right now. We're in the flesh. The people of Jesus' day who knew him, whether they were very close to him or they just knew of him, they had no problem with the fact that he was human. There was no denying that he was human. But even his disciples, though they knew he was human and had no problem with the reality that he was human, it took them a while to believe that Jesus was the word, that Jesus was God. That's what they had to learn and 
that's what had to be revealed to them, that Jesus was God. There was no denying that he was human. They saw him. They spent time with him. So the people of Jesus' day had no problem with the humanity of Jesus, knowing that Jesus was 100% man. They did have a problem with the reality that Jesus was 100% God. You see, the, Jew, the, the disciples were all Jews. Okay? They knew God. They saw the God that called Abraham to leave his home and to follow him and that blessed Abraham and his wife, Sarah, with a child in their old age. They saw that. They knew that. They heard about that. They believed that. They knew that God. They knew the God that spoke to Moses in the burning bush. They knew the God that led the people out of Egypt by putting these plagues on the people of Egypt, these ten plagues. They knew about the God, these Jews knew about the God that parted the Red Sea so the Hebrews could go through the Red Sea. And then as they went through it and the Egyptians were in pursuit, he collapsed the Red Sea on them. They knew about that God. They knew the God that met with Moses on Mount Sinai as it earthquaked and thundered. And they said, nah, you go up there, Moses, and talk to him on that mountain. We're not going up there. They knew that God. They knew the God that created all things. They knew this God, these Jews, they knew him. So it was hard to understand and comprehend that that God that did all that and many more things was now standing right in front of them in human flesh. That was hard for them to comprehend. They could see his humanity. They agreed that Jesus was human. But it was very difficult for them to understand and to know that Jesus was God. But for us who are approximately 2,000 years or so removed from the life of Jesus here on earth. For us, I believe we have the opposite dilemma. I believe for us, it's easier to believe that Jesus was God and harder for, to believe that Jesus was actually fully human. Let me give you an example. WWJD. Does anybody know what that acronym means? WWJD. I might be going over the head of any Gen Z's in this room, but my millennials and older generations, you might know what that WWJD means. WWJD was a bracelet. Came in many colors, every color under the sun. Many colors. These bracelets that said WWJD which meant, what, what would Jesus do? So these, what would Jesus do bracelets were popular. I can't remember how old I was, but I know I had some. Some of you in this room need to admit that you had some of those WWJD bracelets. I wasn't the only one, right? WWJD. And part of the purpose of these WWJD, what would Jesus do bracelets, was to help you, right? You were supposed to use, it wasn't just a fashion. Now, some people just use it as a fashion accessory. 
but it wasn't supposed to just be a fashion accessory. As you wore this on your wrist, this bracelet, it said WWJD, it was supposed to help you in the times when you had to make decisions. When you were faced with a temptation, when you were faced with a decision, you're supposed to stop, look at that bracelet. <laughs> what would Jesus do? Before I make this decision that I may regret, let me try to process it through the lens of what would Jesus do, right? Now, for me, telling on myself, for me, when I was faced with a temptation, when I was trying to decide and trying to process what would Jesus do, I would think about it and WWJD, what would Jesus do? Then I would get to this place where I'd be like, yeah, I know what Jesus would do, but that's Jesus. Like, he doesn't struggle with this temptation the same way I do. Like, I'm just a human. He's Jesus, right? He's different. But me, I'm human. I have struggles that Jesus can't really understand. My struggles are different. The temptations for me, it's easy for Jesus to say no to temptation. For me, it's much, much harder. So I would use that as my cop-out. You know, no, this is hard. Jesus can't quite understand. I know what Jesus would do, but for me, it's different because Jesus is Jesus. He's not Dion. He didn't struggle like Dion struggled. So what I did in my mind was I processed it in a way that Jesus couldn't quite understand what I was going through. Jesus quite, couldn't quite understand this temptation that was before me because I'm human. I got human nature. I'm fallen. Jesus is perfect. He never sinned. There's no way he can understand the temptation and the pressure that I'm going through right now. There's no way. So what I did was I essentially stripped him of his humanity. And thinking that Jesus didn't quite understand what I was going through, I was denying that statement, that the word became flesh. I was practicing unknowingly heresy in my own belief. Because I was saying in my own mind that Jesus can't quite understand and I was essentially stripping him of his humanity. I want to share a little bit of what I have experienced during this holiday season. Um, during the holiday seasons, Christmas and Thanksgiving, when I say a holiday season, I'm kind of talking about from around Thanksgiving all the way up to this Christmas season, this kind of end of November through December season of time. 
And through this holiday season, I've struggled. I've struggled this holiday season. Um, For a Christian, we have lots of songs that remind us of how we should be feeling or thinking during the season, right? Um, We have joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy. I should feel joy as a Christian for sure during this holiday season, right? Tis the season to be jolly, right? Feel jolly during this season, right? This is the season to be jolly, to be happy, right? It's the Christmas season. We're celebrating the beautiful truth of the reality that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But surely the Christian should be jolly. Surely the Christian should be filled with joy during this holiday season. Well, I wasn't. I struggled with the fact that I was struggling during this holiday season. Because I was like, I'm not supposed to feel this way during this season. I'm supposed to feel joyful. I'm supposed to be excited. I'm supposed to feel jolly. But I dealt with some difficult things. I dealt with receiving some news that was a blow to me. I can't get into the details of it this morning. Eventually, I'll share with with some of you. But I received news that was very, very difficult for me to swallow. And I grieved that news this holiday season. I also struggled with my calling, what I felt God was calling me to do, my purpose. I struggle with the fact or the reality of should I even be doing what I'm doing right now, standing before you? Am I worthy of that? Do I really want to deal with the sacrifice that's involved with being on this pastoral track, what I have to put my family through, what my family will have to experience in regard to the sacrifices that they'll have to make in regard to the spiritual attacks that come. Do I really want to do that? So I started to doubt my call during this holiday season. I started to struggle with whether I was really built for this, whether God was really calling me to this. And so during this holiday season, as I struggled, I started to think about all the other people who struggle for a variety of reasons during this holiday season. We prayed about it today multiple times, but there are lots of people that this holiday season is not joyous. It was difficult. People were depressed. People have broken relationships with their family members that they wish were restored, but they're not. People are lonely. I know I remember back in 2018 on that Christmas, uh, I was by myself for Christmas. I was lonely in 2018 on Christmas. So I thought about the reality of people that are lonely, people that are struggling for a variety of reasons. Um, If you go on social media, people are always posting, particularly on Instagram, their pictures of their families and their get-togethers and Christmas cards and all that. And that's, that's great. Like, 
that's great. Do that. You should express joy, right? You should. You should celebrate the joy that you have with your family and all of that. But if there are people who are longing for that but don't have it, unfortunately, that can cause them sadness. You go on social media, there's proposals that happen during the holiday season all the time. I'm guilty of that. I proposed to my wife last Thanksgiving. So there are proposals that happen, but if you're longing to be proposed to and it has not happened, that can be difficult to see. Many difficulties, much struggling during the Christmas season for many, many people. That may have been you this holiday season for a variety of reasons. There may have been struggles. There may have been difficulties for you this, this holiday season. It may be somebody you know, a friend, an acquaintance, a family member. There may be lots of grief around some of the people that you know this holiday season. So as I prepare for this sermon, it was vitally, vitally important for me and encouraging to me to understand that the word, God, became flesh. That he was 100% human. That he could, unlike my young and immature mind, dealing with the WWJD bracelets and how I used to process that, unlike the way I used to think, Jesus can relate to us in our struggles, in our pain, in our weaknesses. Isaiah 53.3 says that he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of suffering, a man of sorrows, who knew what sickness was, who was acquainted with grief. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Jesus experienced rejection. He experienced abandonment. He suffered. He had many sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Here it is. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus, our high priest, he can sympathize with your weaknesses. He can sympathize with my weaknesses, what I was experiencing during this holiday season when I should have been jolly, I was doubting, I was struggling. Jesus understands that. He sympathizes with that. He can have compassion for me. 
right there where I was. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. I needed to be reminded of Jesus' humanity this Christmas season. When I was struggling, when I was low, when I was grieved, I needed to be reminded of Jesus' humanity. And in that, in prepping for this sermon, which I did not want to preach, didn't want to stand before you this morning. I was tired. Didn't want, didn't feel like, didn't have the energy to do it. But in that, I received mercy and found the grace to help me in my time of need. Jesus will do that for you. He is the word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. I want to leave you with this. I mentioned the song, Joy to the World. It was actually a song written by Isaac Watts. Watts is my last name. And so even when I realized that, it was just a sweet moment from God. It's a sweet moment for me. But anyway, it's saying every year during Christmas time. Y'all know the song, Joy to the World. Y'all know that song. I'm not going to try to sing it. But y'all know that song. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth at peace. We sing that every year during Christmas. It's classic. But even though we sing it on Christmas, during Christmas time, which is about the first coming of Jesus, his birth, that song was not written about his first coming. It wasn't written about his first. It was actually written about his second coming. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. It's about his second coming. So, brothers and sisters, we have hope today. There is joy coming. I want to read this last verse, few verses, and then I'm out of your way today. About his second coming. It's the, it's the end of the book, the book of Revelation. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look. God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain 
will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, behold, I am making all things new. Brothers and sisters, that's what we have to look forward to. That's what should be for us, those of us who believe that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That will be the reality for us when Jesus comes again. Let's rest in that truth this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reality that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. It is a reality, it's a truth that I needed to hear, that I needed to believe again during the season. Father, I pray that if anyone in this room, anyone under the sound of my voice is struggling in this way, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would show them that you are near, you are not distant, you are not far away. You see their struggles, you see their pain, you see everything that they're going through, all of their grief. It is not in vain. I pray, Lord, that we would all be encouraged to know that for those of us who believe that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, for us, when you come again, we will experience a day where there will be no more death, there will be no more pain, there will be no more grief, and there will be no more suffering. Come, Lord Jesus, and strengthen us, encourage us, remind us of who you are as we wait. As we wait on that day, encourage us in the reality that the word became flesh, dwelt amongst us same word died for our sins seated at the right hand of the father and will come again we praise your name we thank you lord for this truth you have revealed to us in jesus name